Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services representative, and this week we bring you an abridged version of the podcast, which shares a couple of pertinent updates for dairy producers and their businesses. We're thankful to have our economist, Tiffany LaMondola of Blimling, with a market update for this week of December 11th, 2020. Paul Souza brings us an update on the truck rule and a small snafu that has been going on with the Airboard and DMV. And finally, we have a 45-minute presentation from the folks at DMI and the U.S. Center for Dairy Innovation, Karen Scanlon, Jim Wallace, and Caleb Harper, about the new Net Zero initiative that DMI has rolled out the last several months. The recording, unfortunately, had a small hiccup at the beginning, so you'll hear Paul's introduction, a small glitch, and then the recording will pick up at about the seven-minute mark. None of the main content of the recording was missed, although the introductions by Karen of what was to come later in the presentation were. So please bear with us. I think you'll get the, the main points of the presentation and find it very useful and informative. If you have further questions about anything related to what you hear in the podcast, especially the Net Zero Initiative, please don't hesitate to reach out to Paul, myself, or Darby this next couple of weeks, and we'll get you connected with those folks over at DMI. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. So without further ado, let's kick it off with Tiffany. Hi, folks. Hope everybody had a great week as we head into uh, mid-December here. In the spot dairy markets, um, you know, price action was fairly muted this week, I guess, relative to what we've seen the past couple. Um, We gained a little bit in the cheese space, uh, both on blocks and barrels. We closed the week at 161.75 blocks, that's up three and a quarter cents, and barrels at 144.25, up four and a quarter cents. Um, Over on the class four space, uh, butter was unchanged for the the week, closing at 148. And again, not much uh, movement on nonfat dry milk either. Behind the scenes, however, for any of you that were watching the futures market, it was a really volatile week, especially in the class three futures space. Uh, you know, nothing can dig up, uh, nothing can stir up the dairy markets uh, more than a little bit of uh, good old talk about food box programs. And uh, we kicked the week off with some um, conversations around whether there would be an extension of the food box programs and the stimulus packages being discussed. Um, Nobody really knows for sure. It seems to maybe be um, possibly moving off the list as we move towards the end of the week, Uh, but certainly got people kind of thinking about the possibilities for next year. Looks like they've delayed vote on the stimulus package out a week, so we might have to wait a bit to find out for sure. Um, certainly there'll probably be some dollars for food aid, uh, but the big question is whether, you know, we see anything come into the food box program or if it goes more traditional type SNAP type programs. Um, USDA did issue another section 32 purchase, uh, this time for butter and fluid milk for the year. Uh, those, those, uh, products will go into nutrition, nutrition programs, um, on the butter front, I think it was about $50 million slated. You know, it doesn't amount uh, to a whole lot of volume. Um, you know, all, all eyes will be on whether they, they do continued rounds of, of those purchases. 
Next week, we have a little bit busier week on the uh, on the report side of the ledger. We'll have another global dairy trade on Tuesday, and we'll get a, another milk production report on Thursday. Um, also, just a friendly reminder, any of you interested in the dairy revenue protection coverage, the deadline is Tuesday the 15th, so we are down to just a few short days. Uh, reach out if you have any questions. Otherwise, have a wonderful week ahead. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. We'd like to welcome back Paul Souza, our Director of Environmental Affairs and our Everything Truck Rule guru to the show. Thanks for joining us again, Paul. Yeah, sure, Melissa. Thank you for having me on. Of course. So, Paul, uh, we reported in our update this week and um, in several channels, we've, we've talked to a lot of members who've been having some issues with the truck rule. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's going on? Yeah, sure. Um, last week, I was contacted by several members. Actually, I got uh, contacts from four members in two days. Um, so I knew there was something going on, all with the same issue. They were having issues renewing their DMV registration for their diesel trucks. Um, most of these were uh, SE or special equipment plated trucks because starting in 2020, um, those trucks are, well, they, they've been renewed every five years. 2020 is the year that they're getting renewed for that five year cycle. So a lot of those trucks are going through the renewal process and they're running into some problems. Um, what's, 2020 is also the first year that the DMV is required to withhold registration for trucks that are not in compliance with the ARB truck rule because of Senate Bill 1 from a few years ago. Uh, however, the trucks that I've come across have been in compliance with the rule, though they did have some, there have been some issues like where there was a VIN number that was a little bit off or a license plate uh, on file with the ARB did not match what the DMV has. So despite those little hiccups, we've been able to kind of solve a lot of those problems, Paul. So what is the member issue that has come up recently? So I called the Air Resources Board uh, about this issue and uh, they told me that the DMV had written a software program to work with the ARB's database and find which trucks are not in compliance. And it makes sense that trucks that are not in compliance or those where information in the ARB database doesn't match the DMVs would get flagged for non-registration, but it seems that this program is randomly denying renewals even to compliant trucks. So if you have this issue, it's important that you contact uh, somebody to get some help, uh, your field rep or myself uh, with this, be, we'd be happy to help you. Yeah, I can see um, working with Dairyman for a few years now that truck owners getting that notice, they may just kind of give up on those trucks. Um, and even though they're in compliance and they're legal trucks, they may just decide not to use them. So that's kind of concerning. Yeah, and that's my biggest concern, like you say, you know, I would hate to see a member lose a truck, even though they've jumped through all the hoops all these years to keep that truck in compliance. Uh, so I urge members uh, that have this issue not to give up, to get help and get the issue resolved, make sure you get that truck re-registered. And again, this is for trucks that are in compliance uh, with the ARB rule. If they're not in compliance, then um, you wouldn't be able to register it. Okay. Well, anything else you can update us on as far as that truck rule? There's a lot of moving parts to that right now, Paul. Yeah, there is. Um, I, I've also gotten some other questions uh, on it as far as when does the ag mileage extension expire? 
Um, as you'll recall, um, Western United worked with other ag organizations to get an extension for trucks used in agriculture from having to make upgrades or replace their trucks on the same um, time frame as other trucks. Uh, currently, the mileage limit for ag, the ag extension is 10,000 miles per year, but the ag extension will be going away at the end of calendar year 2022. And many owners are planning on you know, how they're gonna meet that requirement and not have to replace all of their trucks at once. So some folks are starting to you know, replace a couple of trucks or just talk to me about, you know, how, how do I do this? What are the rules? So at that point, uh, these trucks will have to comply with the rest of the rule when the ag extension goes away, which means that many of these trucks will not be able to operate in California and must be replaced. Most trucks will need to have a 2010 or newer model year engine starting in January of 2023. There will continue to be the low use exemption, but that is limited to a thousand miles per year and isn't very useful for most of these trucks. Uh, and then there's also uh, for the trucks that only operate in the northern third of the state, uh, they'll be able to continue to use their older trucks if they have a diesel particulate filter. Okay, well, all that stuff is good news. That'll help a lot of my members for sure. And, you know, that thousand miles a year really adds up quickly, but on a smaller dairy where you're maybe driving just a mile or two a day, it's it's not as big of a concern. Yeah. Great. And the next thing is that also next month um, is reporting season for those that do have the ag extension or the low mileage or the low use exemption. Um, if you would invite me back, Melissa, I'd be happy to talk about that in January as folks are having to report those trucks to keep them in compliance. Um, and I'm here to help our members out with this as I have for a number of years. So if uh, numbers have, if members have trucks and um, they need some help reporting, I would be happy to help them with that. Absolutely. We'll definitely have you back the first week of January, Paul. And just as a quick reminder to members, we, we help a lot of folks with this. Make sure that you have that January 1st or sometimes second tradition of going out and, and writing those odometer numbers down. It's really important to get that number early so we don't go over if we're close. Yep. So that was it for uh, this session. So thank you, Melissa, for having me. And uh, I look forward to being back in January for another update on this. Awesome. Thanks so much, Paul, for always having such good information for our members. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Okay, sure. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. This is Paul Souza with Western United Dairies, and I'd like to welcome everyone to this webinar. Western United started this webinar series to provide outreach and information to California dairy families on current topics. Today, we are joined by Dairy Management Inc., or DMI, as I'll call them, and the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy to talk about their new Net Zero initiative. Every day, we hear news stories about climate change and the efforts being made to combat it. California has been in the lead on this, but now it appears that we may have more engagement at the national level as well. Consumers are asking businesses at all levels about their contribution to this issue and to reduce the carbon footprint of their products, including dairy products. This effort is not new to dairy farmers as gains in efficiency and productivity 
have led to large reductions in the environmental footprint of a glass of milk over the last 50 years. In California, due to legislation and the availability of incentive funding, we have ramped up our progress significantly in the last five years. It is important that we get credit for our past efforts and for where we are headed. I would like to thank Melissa Lima for her help with this webinar and check that we are ready to dive in. And with that, I would like to introduce our speakers. I will start with uh, Karen Scanlon. She is Senior Vice President of Environmental Stewardship and leads all environmental programs and partnerships for DMI and Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy. In that role, she leads a cross-organizational leadership team and is responsible for the integration of work plans, staffs, and budgets. She also manages the Innovation Center's Environmental Stewardship Committee and maintains oversight of partner and stakeholder outreach and communications related to environmental programs. Welcome, Karen. Next, we have Jim Wallace. Jim holds the position of Senior Vice President of Environmental Research at DMI. He is responsible for leading strategy and oversight of the Environmental Science and Research Program to position U.S. dairy in a global food system. And he leads the foundational work for environmental research and measurement to inform decisions, update models, and advance outcomes for the dairy industry's net zero initiative. Prior to joining DMI, Jim was the Senior Vice President of Engineering and Business Development for Nutrient LLC, where he was responsible for developing and leading new technology and project initiatives, supporting environmental market-based development efforts, and led the technical phase of the dairy industry's net zero initiative. It was in this capacity that I met Jim and have enjoyed working with him. Good to see you again, Jim, at least virtually. Next, we have Caleb Harper. Caleb is the executive director of the Dairy Scale for Good initiative, working to help U.S. dairies pilot and integrate new technology and management practices to reach net zero emissions or better while increasing farmer livelihood. Dairy Scale for Good is one of a portfolio of strategic initiatives that support the U.S. dairy community's commitment to environmental stewardship. Welcome, Caleb. And with that, uh, I will pass it off to our uh, presenters from DMI. Uh, you guys can take the floor. To walk through the keys to success. Thank you, Karen, and, and good morning to everybody on the call. Um, keys to success require tackling affordability, uh, data and research gaps, and, and accessibility. And just kind of as a little bit of background on this slide, uh, we talk a lot about farmers and, and their adoption of sustainable practices and technologies. But I think it's important to articulate that we're also very, very focused on how sustainability can work for the farmer. To be successful, farmers are going to require economically viable practices and technologies. Innovation is a key piece of this. So things like developing non-traditional revenue streams for manure-based products and ecosystem services, those are focal points of the Net Zero Initiative our effort to drive affordability. In support of innovation and new market opportunities that drive affordability, we're actively addressing critical research and data gaps. That's a big piece of the, of the groundwork effort that, that I lead and I'll talk a little bit more about with the ultimate vision of creating accessibility of these practices and technologies to farms of all sizes. And that farms of all sizes piece is, is, is key as well and, I'll, and also say farms in, in all regions. Um, so with that, we could go to the next slide, please.
So this is a simple schematic and it's meant to illustrate the, the four basic environmental prints on a dairy, um, feed production, enteric methane, energy, and manure that when added up equal the farm's carbon footprint. And the idea here is really just to connect um, these prints with some of the strategies um, to, to sort of help drive the dairy to net zero. Um, this scope covers all dairies in all regions. Um, some of these strategies that, that I'm just gonna briefly touch on and talk about are, are ones that many of you are, are, are likely engaged in today. Others are um, part of our groundwork pillar that we're, we're building out research in support of. So I'd, I'd like to just touch on each of the, of the four uh, key focus areas around the farm and, and provide a, a couple examples of strategies that, that sort of uh, underpin our thinking as, as we approach this net zero um, construct. So on the feed production side, top left-hand corner, here we're thinking about things like uh, no and, and low-till farming and, and cover crops, um, innovative crop rotations, uh, new manure-based products, precision ag, things like that. And, and I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this later on in the presentation, but just as a precursor to that, um, feed production is one of those areas that we still have um, some real research gaps in, in terms of being able to quantify and, and measure the impact of, of, of various uh, tillage practices and cover cropping, um, new manure-based products and so on. Um, we were recently awarded a grant through Foundation for Food and Ag Research for $10 million um, to build out that background that we need in order to accurately quantify our feed production footprint and perhaps even more important to really set the stage for how we can capture um, non-traditional revenue opportunities through carbon markets and, and water quality markets. So again, a little bit more to come in, 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 in a few minutes on that. Um, moving to the right, uh, under cow care and efficiency, this is the enteric methane piece. Um, some of the, uh, the, the different strategies that fall under um, enteric methane are things like feed additives. I think this is a really exciting space. Um, there are a number of products that are at or near to market that will have a, a significant impact. Um, continuing down, optimized feed rations. Here we're thinking about things like um, high quality forages. Um, integration of, of, of feed ingredients in some cases, things like lipids, for example, um, that when, when really optimized will lead to um, better environmental outcomes. Um, also things like genetics. So uh, breeding for specific traits. Uh, one example would be um, higher feed efficient cows. And this is something that's really sort of here and now um, in the next year or two. And as we look further down the road, um, I think that we'll you know, look to things like uh, uh, traits that are specific to low methane emitting cows. And then the last point on this, on this, uh, on this focus area, uh, technology. And when I talk about technology here, I'm really speaking to how we can get down to managing at the, at the single cow level to improve on-farm profitability, but also to improve our, our environmental footprint. Moving to the, to the right, um, the on-farm energy piece. Here we're, we're pointing to things that, again, many of you are already doing, things like LED lighting, variable frequency drives, uh, high efficiency refrigeration type systems. Um, in some regions, we're looking at where we can creatively innovate with um, 
new renewable energy sources like wind and solar. And of course, we're also talking about conversion of biogas in some cases to electricity or renewable natural gas. And, and, and I recognize that this is, as a general rule, considered to be something of a, of a large farm technology. And I, I certainly would agree with that. Um, however, as this program progresses over the coming decades, um, there's no question in my mind that we will see the size of farm that, that benefits from the adoption of uh, technologies like anaerobic, anaerobic digestion come down significantly. And then finally, moving to the last focus area, that being the manure piece. Um, here, we're talking about strategies as simple as, as comprehensive nutrient management plans. Um, it could also include nutrient recovery technologies, and those could be as simple as coarse fiber separation, uh, all the way to um, advanced uh, nutrient recovery technologies uh, like evaporative systems. I, I think uh, Caleb might touch on that as one potential technology that could be integrated into dairy scale for good in such a way that our nutrients are pushed into more concentrated forms, forms that can be stored, transported, and really applied where and, and when they're needed. And so kind of the, the, the final takeaway here that I'd like to leave you with is, is that all of these are uh, strategies that, that could be applied, some are currently being applied, and we're thinking about these in ways that will ultimately allow for measuring and quantifying and, and leading to new market opportunities in, in many cases in a way that we, we haven't really conceived of as it relates to carbon markets and water quality markets. So with that, Karen, I think we can go to the next slide. Sorry about that. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Jim. Um, I'm going to start here uh, in the lower right hand corner talking about uh, collective impact. So these are the, the, the three areas of net zero initiative, which I showed on that, that uh, slide of the, the three work streams, um, the, the really core tracks, how we're going to drive progress under this initiative. So I'm going to start um, talking about collective impact, which is the area I work most with. And then um, Caleb will cover dairy scale for good. And then we'll hand it back to Jim for, for more on groundwork and uh, the, the new project that he's talking about. So I wanted to explain what we mean by collective impact. So this, this is the emphasis of um, being having that network, having that mechanism, having that infrastructure in place so that as we learn how we uncover new science, advanced research, gain new knowledge, um, adopt, adapt tools for better decision-making on farm and improve the models and methods for measuring progress, that we have the ability to share that out throughout the dairy community to organizations like Western United and to get it into um, useful information into the hands of, of farmers of any part of the country, all sizes, um, all types of operations. So, um, and also taking what is advanced and learned and understood and developed through the um, Dairy Scale for Good effort, we also want to use that network and that infrastructure to share those learnings out as, as quickly and meaningfully as possible. So, collective impact is a strategy that involves creating that network of, of information sharing and technology transfer, but it's and, and in addition to that, we're also, also working with um, some on the ground projects we call demonstration projects because it'll look at maybe a handful, one or two of practices that are available today and successfully implemented on 
farms of all sizes, um, particularly we, we're gonna emphasize in the next in short term, small and medium sized farms where practices, some of the practices that Jim just went through um, like cover crops or like um, uh, energy efficiency lighting or um, feed additives, things like that, that we could help to scale up across uh, the small and medium sized farms across the country. We wanna pull together supply chain efforts that look at what are the successful approaches to scaling up adoption of those practices. So that, that's a, an overview of what we wanna um, work on through collective impact and just wanna emphasize that uh, this isn't just um, the NZI partner efforts, it is gonna take all of us. So look forward to working with Western United and other organizations in California and Western states to talk about how do we really drive for scaled adoption of proven practices that bring environmental benefits and economic viability as well too. So that's an uh, overview of collective impact. So over to Caleb. Great, thanks, Karen. And uh, you know, between Karen and Jim, <laughs> that's been an excellent um, overview of, of the entire program. And where I would say, you know, if you were imagining where handoffs occur between the three of us, um, one of those handoffs is taking from Jim's work and leveraging the work uh, of those in the DMI science team alongside Nutrient. Um, on the science, uh, you know, how the science is evolving, what technologies have been identified that need proving and de-risking, and to start stacking those against each of those footprints uh, that Jim outlined on the previous slide, and to do a kind of a, you know, rubber meets road viability. And we know that viability means different things in different regions. We know that different technology will function differently in different regions and that, that the relative impact of that technology will also be different in different regions. So it's a huge challenge uh, to take forward the environmental impacts uh, on the net zero initiative and kind of a profit and loss or a PL uh, mentality. And that's really where Dairy Scale for Good finds its focus. So it is in a, a blessing and a curse to be narrowed uh, onto uh, approximately hope, uh, three to five farms over the next year initiating projects where we go aggressively uh, towards two goals, elimination of uh, greenhouse gas emissions as much as we possibly can and quantification of that, as well as increased farmer revenue. Um, and so not every, let's say, emission reduction area that Jim outlined holds the same economic promise. And in terms of farms of all sizes, some are appropriate now and ready to be deployed uh, on farms of all sizes. Some are still uh, being proven out in the market uh, and some need markets built. Uh, and so I'll go over that just kind of briefly and then the process that we're thinking. But I, I want to make few things clear uh, before I get into technology is, you know, as a team, we are incredibly committed to representing regional diversity uh, across the pilots. And we aren't in total control of that. We're doing due diligence. Uh, we're sharing that due diligence. But in terms of where the farms will actually be, that's not something that we are, quote unquote, picking. Uh, there is none of that going on. There is a lining of arms in different regions that are willing to be, um, willing to take the risk financially, willing to take the risk uh, from a public perspective um, in terms of being highlighted for their practices in, this, in these areas. 
and as well as you know, uh, fundraising uh, interest from different supply chains. So we are kind of positioning this, uh, and I'll show in a minute, you know, what where I've been and kind of what I've been up to over the last six months. Um, but we are positioning this as being ready to work with these companies that have made uh, commitments that they're they're learning now how to meet. So I think you've seen it across the tech industry, net zero commitments, then it came kind of into the food industry, net zero commitments, then it became into the agricultural industry, net zero commitments. It will certainly be a big part of, of uh, you know, the plan for US agriculture going forward. So what we're doing is, is positioning the dairy industry to kind of ground truth these things for ourselves, start to set benchmarks of measuring for ourselves and to understand how we will economically afford to do these things. And so just to go a little bit deeper on the technology side briefly, you know, Jim mentioned the areas and I like to think of it in broader terms uh, that, that is about a third of the emissions coming from enteric emissions uh, or belching. And so where is the economic opportunity around these new feed additives that are coming onto the scene? How safe are they? When will that economic opportunity change? And how will we get started running those trials uh, now? And that, that's a big part of this program. Uh, on the manure handling side, another third of the emissions. Um, you know, we've seen digesters recently have an incredible boom, and that's related to um, new markets for the renewable natural gas that have been, you know, subsidized at different state levels and are be, are expanding. Uh, and then following that, a new model, new models coming out like the cow bio model, for example, where you start to have clusters. And the cluster starts to allow that size of farm that can participate with that technology to come down and create communal assets. Like in the state, in the case of the clustering, you know, 20 to 40 farms on a network of infrastructure that allows them to use a piece of uh, a communal asset like gas cleaning and upgrading to access the market. So there's an interesting path there that's starting to evolve and has been evolving over 30 years in terms of value and and technology. The next step is that a digester, while it, while it does remove emissions, right, you get all of the nutrients back. So the big question now for technology to answer and for us to think about is nutrient capture and nutrient reuse with precision. So we're doing a lot of different investigations on that side across a number of technology vendors. And again, you know, we as Dairy Scale for Good or NZI won't select the technology that is going to be used. We're trying to, to do as much research as we can. So if you're someone that knows you know, of something that, you've, that you know in your region is interesting, I'd love to hear from you because we go out, do due diligence, present that to these potential farms and present that to these potential funders for a collaborative decision. Um, but there is amazing promise on that side in terms of revenue as well as uh, environmental impact. And the last kind of third um, being a ratio between feed production and, and on-farm energy use and generation. I think Jim already uh, outlined that pretty, pretty uh, in, in pretty great detail, so I won't get too far into that. Um, next slide. Oh, there we go. Uh, so there's been a lot of questions, you know, about, uh, you know, especially as I got out into the field, I joined the team approximately April or May, uh, and then upon joining the team, although having a family background in agriculture, 
uh, and a research background in, in the plant side of horticulture, um, you know, dairy industry was relatively new to me. You know, I'd raised beef my uh, whole life uh, and, and horses and other things, but I wanted to get on the ground. So this is kind of where I've been over the last few months, um, representative of our dairy industry. The numbers that you're seeing are the, the cow numbers on the farms that I've personally been on to understand where we're at, to hear from folks, you know, technologies, practices that they're interested in, to hear concerns that are related to region, uh, that are related to impact and measurement, um, so that I can really ground truth how to move forward uh, with the pilots. And it's been a, an interesting journey. It's involved almost all state and regional organizations, uh, checkoff organizations and others, a lot of co-ops, a lot of manufacturer and retail partners. And it's, you know, this kind of level of due diligence, uh, sampling on the farms, understanding regionally where they are different and where they are the same, uh, that will allow us to move forward in a realistic way uh, as these pilots uh, progress in 2021. Um, so if we can go on to the next slide, I believe I'm handing it over to Jim. Uh, so, um, yeah, thanks, Caleb. So I, I'm just going to really uh, briefly touch on the, the groundwork piece. Uh, so groundwork is, is really intended to fill the, the critical research and knowledge gaps that will ultimately underpin and support the other two pillars, collective impact and, and dairy scale for good. And we're focused on building out um, research support for those four key on-farm uh, focus areas that I, I went through on the previous slide. And, and so I won't belabor that point. I think we can move on to the next slide, please. So here I'd like to talk in brief about um, feed production. So I mentioned when, when I was talking through the schematic that feed production really represents sort of an opportunity area. And, and we submitted a proposal. It, it was uh, a year and a half in the making to the Foundation for Food and Ag Research um, that focuses on um, improving soil health and, and manure management um, through on-farm sustainability. It's, a, it's a, a $10 million grant that we've been awarded through um, Foundation for Food and Ag Research. Um, and then the, the total project cost will, will ultimately be somewhere in the, let's say the 21 to, to $23 million range. Um, and we're still filling in the final details on what that budget and uh, an exact uh, uh, grant program layout looks like. Um, but just to kind of give a little bit of background, when, when we first initiated to work in the net zero space um, about two years ago, one of the first steps was to understand where those critical research and knowledge gaps existed. And there are many. However, um, one of the first that we chose to focus on is feed production. And, and again, that's what this grant is all about. And though, as Caleb just pointed out, feed production is not the most significant GHG contributor to the, to the dairy enterprise. Um, it does offer some really unique opportunities. Uh, one, it's a space that we just at this point in time aren't very good at measuring and we need to better understand and better be able to better measure um, our footprint in that space. Um, but there are also opportunities as it relates to soil carbon sequestration potential. Um, and, and that is one of those uh, spaces that, that, uh, that represents future opportunity from the perspective of new um, carbon-based markets. 
Um, so just again, at a kind of a really high level here, it's a six year project um, and there are five growing seasons. Um, let, let's go to the next page. Um, with, within the program, um, we are participating with uh, eight different farms, um, five operating dairies, two university research dairies, um, one ARS research farm. Uh, there are eight key research partners, including Soil Health Institute, Cornell University, University of Vermont, UW-Madison, UW-Platteville, Texas A&M, UC Davis, and ARS Kimberly-Idaho, who are all participating in this, in this, uh, this five-year or six-year program. Um, what we did was we've divided the, the, the country into the four primary um, dairy regions, the Northeast, the Lake States, um, Mountain, and California. And then within each of those regions, um, there will be a combination of large plot and field-scale work. Um, and each region will also have water quality um, and or quantity elements associated with it. And then lastly, moving to the next slide, please. So at a really high level, um, this grant program is, is intended to assess the impact of minimal disturbance tillage, cover cropping, innovative crop rotations, and new manure-based products on three key research gaps. And we, we bucketed those gaps as, as soil carbon sequestration for the reasons that I just mentioned. The second primary bucket is that of, of better understanding, quantifying, measuring agronomic outcomes and environmental outcomes associated with minimal disturbance tillage, cover cropping, innovative crop rotations, and new manure-based products. And then lastly, there's a soil health piece to this as well. And, and of course, soil carbon sequestration does fit under soil health. We think it's so important that we actually pulled it out separately. But as it relates to soil health, our objective is to um, identify four to six metrics that ultimately prove out to be useful um, from a dairy perspective. And sort of rolling it all up, um, the goals uh, of this project include, um, again, providing the scientific veracity to support measurement of our feed production um, GHG footprint with consideration for um, the factors that I described. Um, that's number one. And then number two, and I, I think equally important, in some cases perhaps uh, more important, we will set the stage for new market opportunities as a result of this work um, relative to carbon and water quality. And with that, we can go to the next slide, please, Karen. What we wanted to emphasize here, and I think we'll, we'll just be quick here um, that we wanted to emphasize that there are outcomes for all dairy farms through the net zero initiative. There's uh, deliverables and outcomes from each of the three areas that you've heard us describe that um, will result in um, usable information, uh, development of new markets and new opportunities for farms of all sizes. So some of these are, are spelled out here on this slide and Jim just went through um, some of the, the work coming out from the, the immediate project funded by Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. Um, also developing tools to help on-farm technology and practice selection based on measurable outcomes, improved data on practices that many farmers use today and how we can better quantify 
um, how those practices are resulting in benefits and can lead to um, payments for those benefits through some uh, markets. And then as Caleb described with the Dairy Scale for Good, um, even though the, the pilots are um, on, on the small number of farms, the benefits from that um, will benefit uh, farms, every farm from the development of those markets where the, the credits can be sold and realized, but also um, the reducing over time, the reduction of capital and operational costs and de-risking of the investment. Um, so that can apply across all dairy farms. And then as I described, uh, collective impact is about providing greater assistance, um, uh, more awareness and, and uh, availability of assistance for farms of all sizes and specific projects that uh, look to identify most effective ways to scale up adoption uh, of practices and technologies for farms of all sizes. Um, and then on the next slide, we talk about uh, what net zero is and isn't. So just uh, we've, we've hit several of these points home um, over time, over the course of our time with you, that it is a collective effort. Um, not every farm is, will or is expected to reach net zero status, but as I emphasize with the goals, these are collective across the entire industry. Some farms are, are potentially there today and some farms will do even more to sequester carbon. But um, as an industry, we are moving toward these goals of carbon neutral or better. Um, it's voluntary. Um, this is a pathway for farms to voluntarily contribute to the progress toward these goals. And it's an opportunity for farms of all sizes to uh, adopt that next technology or practice that's right for them. And we do intend to um, that it is not one size fits all, but it's that range of practices and technologies for farms of various sizes, locations, and designs. Um, so what we wanna leave you with today is that just remind you of the why um, and, and why we feel this is important, why the dairy industry feels this is important uh, and path to create, um, that consumers are increasingly choosing products products and that uh, as U.S. dairy, we need to be able to answer and to meet those expectations. Um, and so through this initiative, we're going to document not only what dairy has been doing um, around environmental sustainability, so we can continue to talk about the success that has brought us to today, where U.S. dairy is only 2% of total greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S., but continue to demonstrate progress in leadership and environmental sustainability. And that our goal is to make it easier for farms to expand their environmental sustainability by making it more economic, economical to do so. So that's what we wanted to leave you with and we look forward to um, hearing your questions. Thank you. I'd really like to thank our presenters. Uh, that was a great presentation. Uh, I see that we're you know, definitely responding to consumer demands. Uh, many of the things that you kind of talked about moving in that direction um, are things that we're already doing. We just need to you know, scale them up or increase adoption, but there are some new technologies in there um, that you know, I, I'm kind of looking forward to solving multiple issues on dairy farms. Uh, it's also good to see that you know, this effort is bringing new funding to the dairy industry to help develop the solutions. Uh, we're not funding it all ourselves as we make an effort and join together. Other folks are kind of joining on board and helping out with that. So with that, I am gonna open it up to questions and I, like to kick off the first one, um, kind of a statement um, going into a question, and that is um, dealing with California specific. We have legislation requiring us to reduce our manure methane emissions 
by 40%. By 2030, we have made tremendous strides in the last five years that all help us move towards uh, net zero. Uh, but you know, we have our own um, incentives and challenges here in California. Wondering if you're able to at all address, and I know you, you, know, you talked about this being nationwide, this isn't one versus the other, uh, but you know, kind of specific to California and the efforts that we've made recently, uh, it would seem to me like we're well on our way. And uh, just wondering if, if you share that uh, thought. Uh, I'd be happy to jump in first here on this. Uh, Paul, I certainly do. Um, in particular, given that California has a, a little bit of a higher weighting maybe than what we would on average apply to the manure piece across the rest of the country. I think the most recent LCA that came out of Hermes Graves lab is about 40, 41% of your uh, GHG footprint is derived from manure. So the fact that you're already engaged in such a um, extensive uh, digester program uh, across California, I think speaks volumes to, uh, to where you're headed as a state. Uh, so I certainly applaud the state of California for such a, a proactive approach to managing the methane piece of, of manure. Um, so Caleb, anything else you'd like to add in there? I would agree and, and you know, spend time, uh, I see that Deanne's on the call, I just waved at her, spend time understanding, you know, with, with her and others, uh, the current state of kind of technology readiness. And yeah, it was incredibly impressive. You know, now when I go across the country and talk about models, uh, CalBio is an excellent model to discuss about equity, uh, you know, in terms of farmer equity and profit sharing, but also in terms of aggregation uh, and, and scaling down uh, the potential solution. So, you know, that's really, really great to see. And I think, you know, in terms of some of the technologies that I visited that are being piloted, post digestion, you know, obviously also an amazing wonderland of, of, uh, of inventors, uh, I'll put it that way, um, that, are, that are pushing that forward. So I would agree that, that, you know, in terms of some other places that I've been, there's some advantage there. And, and there's also an acknowledgement of work to do uh, as it comes to nutrient recapture specifically when we're talking about new, uh, manure and how to do that in an economic way. But I'll say there are two advantages that, that not all areas have and other areas will have other advantages. But in the state of California, there is more organic production on the West Coast than anywhere uh, in the United States. And so you have the salad bowl, uh, you have access to markets uh, that, that are frankly hard to access uh, in different places. So that should be taken advantage of and a recognition of uh, you know, water quality um, and some pretty heavy regulation on water quality that I think these technologies um, that we're exploring now post-digestion uh, will be important. Good. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And with that, I'll open up to uh, questions from uh, participants. Uh, if anybody has a question, uh, Melissa, are we unmuting everybody or should they raise their hand or put a question in the chat? Yeah, if you have a question, feel free to unmute. It'd be great if you could raise your hand, but also if you just, if it's easier to jump in for those on the phone, um, that's fine too. And the chat is open if, if there are questions. Can you unmute everybody, Melissa? Are, are you muting them or is everybody self-muting? I think everybody's self-muted at this point. Okay. Looks like Frank may have a question. I do have a question. How many questions do I have? <clears throat> so, yeah, Paul already touched on the fact that we're doing a lot of these, uh, especially with the manure handling side already in California. 
<clears throat> so would there, can our, our speakers tell us, give us examples of how we might be compensated for putting this technology in. Uh, I myself, we've converted our farm to, um, to a minimum till from a conventional till and it's been a struggle um, because you can get the, the crop planted, but if your soil type um, and farm size doesn't work for a minimum till, as we're finding out <clears throat> years later, you end up with less production, which ultimately defeats the purpose. So could you give us some examples, though, of how we might be compensated for putting some of these technologies uh, in? So, so Frank, um, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, that, uh, that through the adaption of minimal disturbance tillage that you've, you've seen, it sounds like a, a reduction over the years. Um, just real quick question, how many years have you been practicing minimal disturbance tillage and seen that, that yield lag? Well, yeah, so I, over 10 years. Um, and we went from no-till to minimum till, which we, we do strip tilling. Um, and we just found out through the years as we went, as, as year by year went by, the first years were pretty good. But now we've learning, we're learning that we need to um, change some of our farm sizes and how we irrigate to optimize that strip till. I, I'm, I'm not saying it, it can't work, it can, but we're, we've come to realize that there's more to it than what we thought. Understood, and I, I certainly can appreciate that. And if it's okay, I'd like to reach out to you offline. I just would like to ask you a few more questions, but, but, but speaking to your uh, question about compensation, um, the, the, the way that we have been thinking about this, and, and I will acknowledge there's a, there's a lot of work to be done to build this out, but our, our, our expectation and our hope is, is that we can illustrate through the adoption of various practices, such as minimal disturbance tillage, strip tilling, um, cover cropping, potentially changes in how you irrigate, um, uh, potentially innovative crop rotations, that we can show a net gain in, in carbon sequestration and be able to benefit through future markets that are yet to be developed, although there certainly is a lot of activity in that space that will, uh, I think, open the door to those types of opportunities. So that's one um, way that we think offers uh, an opportunity to, uh, to compensate for those types of practices. Um, the second would be one of, of water quality. And I recognize uh, in, in California, um, there's a little bit of a different water quality story, um, but as we work through the FAR program and in our partnership with people like uh, Deanne Meyer and UC Davis, um, we hope to augment our learnings as it relates to enhancing and improving groundwater opportunities. Um, again, I, I recognize that today that does not necessarily represent a new market opportunity, but I hope through our work and our learnings as an industry that that may open up future opportunities um, that would perhaps mirror this, this, this notion of, of a carbon market as well. Okay, I'll follow up then. Um, so you, you talked about credits being sold and um, uh, there, there's, yeah, there's a million questions here for, uh, for me, but 
one thing that that I struggle with is that I've seen over the last five years is we're trying to reach our goal out here in California to reduce by 40%. What we see a reduction is the number of dairy and dairy families. Uh, as we, we continue to go out of business and I'm, I'm not gonna put all that on top of, um, of reducing methane, but it's not helping um, with the regulations and stuff. Um, so my thought goes like this, how do we, how do all of us help the small, the medium and the large? So there's efficiencies that being a certain size, whether you're in the small category or the medium or the large. And so when you guys bring up this, um, you, where you can separate the nutrients and reuse them or move them somewhere where they're needed, um, that would help tremendously with the size a dairy could be. Uh, make them so much more efficient. Uh, and I'm curious what kind of technologies are out there ready to hit the market that would separate those nutrients out of our water? So Frank, I'll, I'll, I'll take a, a crack at that. And there, there are uh, a, a number of different technologies um, that, that focus on the fine solid fraction of dairy manure, which is where the majority of the nutrients reside. Um, so, you know, basic classes of technology, of course, everyone's familiar with coarse fiber separation. That's really not going to get at the, at the primary nutrient um, component of the manure stream, but other technologies like um, chemical assisted flocculation. So dissolved air flotation or the LWR system both fall under that category. Both of those are relatively low capital cost and they do represent a way to separate those fine solids out. Um, there are certainly questions about transport distance and, and what that might mean and what that might look like. Um, but that, those are sort of, it's kind of early days, I guess I would say with how those technologies could best integrate into California. And I know that they're early stage in, in seeing those types of, of technologies on the ground. And then there's of course the, the you know, that sort of um, technology like uh, I, I mentioned when I talked through the four on-farm prints, you know, an evaporative technology, which to me is, is sort of the, uh, the, the far end of the spectrum, a technology that can actually dry the NPK um, constituent of manure and allow that to be um, exported off farm as an, as, as an organic product in, that, in, in this particular case and can concentrate aqua ammonia into a, a, a liquid product that, that almost starts to look a little bit like a, a commercial fertilizer. Um, so there are technologies that I think that we're, we're in an evolving place. And I think, Caleb, it would be excellent for you maybe to, to, to add on to this because that's such a big piece of what you're seeking to build out through Dairy Scale for Good. Sure. Happy to. Um, so I think the, as Jim mentioned, the classes of technologies, but if you, if you take a step back, it's, it's about fractionating it, manure. You know, can we separate it into its primary elements? Can we dewater it? Can we return that water as clean so that it's not creating emissions? These are some of the goals. And as Jim mentioned, you know, concentrating things like ammonia uh, as a fertilizer, a liquid fertilizer, being able to dewater our solids, NPK micronutrients, so that they can be transported to find a market or be precision applied. Um, and then you have to pay for it all. So I've spent a lot of time over the last five months 
speaking with national off-takers um, of these types of fertilizer products, whether they're organic or non-organic. Jim mentioned, you know, injecting flocculant, which is, you know, a polymer uh, that attracts, uh, you know, phosphorus and some nitrogen. There are systems that do that. I've seen them in California alongside the rest of the United States. There are membrane systems that are frankly coming in across livestock areas. So, you know, not just dairy and, and cattle, but also being applied to, uh, you know, um, egg operations, for example, that are membrane based, uh, where you can take the raw manure flow, separate, um, you know, ammonia in this case is seen as the most valuable because it can be converted into lots of other things and stabilized. So separate the ammonia, which is also volatile. And then in those systems, you know, reverse osmosis to catch the the uh, the NPK and micronutrients to return back fresh water. Um, now the question is, what's the value on the farm of those materials? The dry, you know, potentially pelleted fertilizer that contains your organic nitrogen, your phosphorus, your potassium, and this liquid concentrated ammonia product. Um, so you know, that's an interesting philosophical question, frankly, and one I'm interested to, to hear what you think. You know, some farms want to use it all on farm uh, because they have a lot of land uh, and you know it makes sense for them. Some farms want to get it off the farm and find a market for it. And I think this moment in time, there is a, there's a lot of technology interest um, across animal livestock sectors uh, at this exact question. And I think you're gonna see an awful lot of innovation in that space. And from the dairy scale for good perspective, Jim mentioned the, the kind of far end, you know, we are hoping to take some of the more risky things uh, that will be very impactful in certain geographies and, and just go for it. Um, not necessarily evaporation in California because maybe it doesn't work based on dairies being flush, for example, and that there's more water. So we need to think a little bit differently. But in that space uh, per kind of region that, that we find a interested farmer an interested sponsor and can put projects together, that's the, the metric that we'll be going towards is how far can we eliminate emissions and how much potential revenue could we bring back to the farm because of that? I had a, another question in the chat. Um, it says, can you ask the speaker what DMI is doing to help lawmakers and regulators understand stock GHG and flow GHG and the resulting environmental impact? If we don't define and educate lawmakers, we will not be practically speaking to ever achieve reasonable goals. Sorry, I think there was a little typo there. Yeah, and I think this comes from the recent work of Frank Mitloner uh, in really separating out. So yeah, thank you, Melissa. Uh, so uh, the, the GWP STAR discussion is one that is um, uh, sort of front and center uh, with us at DMI, Frank was a part of our Sustainability Alliance meeting uh, a few weeks back, um, along with uh, Miles Allen from, from Oxford University, and they did a great job of, of sharing um, a different way of thinking about methane that, that really, I think, resonates and makes a lot of sense. It's something, again, that we uh, within DMI are looking at very carefully, um, and we're, we're, much, we're getting close, I should say, to being able to really articulate out sort of a, a, a DMI um, US dairy position with respect to um, GWP STAR and, and, and how we think it can best be uh, sort of integrated into the conversation 
Um, so we're, we're not all the way there yet. Um, I clearly think it makes a tremendous amount of sense. And again, I think Frank's done a great job of, of articulating that from a California perspective. Um, actually, I think he's done a great job of articulating it from a, uh, from a broader perspective than just, than just California, but, but more to come on that from the, from the DMI folks. Are there any other questions that folks might have? We are uh, getting over an hour now, so I'm not sure uh, how much more we're going to go, how many questions we've got. Um, Deanne Meyer, just in the chat, wanted to let everyone know, first of all, thanks so much for the presentation and that there's a presentation next Thursday on feed additives and GHG reduction to ARB. So um, I'll get the specifics for that and send that out to the participants. Yeah, we've got uh, several meetings going on in California on these topics uh, regularly. Thanks for having us join today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I really want to thank you, uh, Karen and Jim and Caleb, for joining us and for your presentation. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, and I think as, you know, anything new gets rolled out, it's always important to, you know, get out there and let folks know uh, what's going on. And that was my goal. And I think we've achieved that. So I appreciate that. And I also want to thank uh, Melissa Lima, my colleague, for uh, helping to set this up and uh, coordinate this. So thank you, everybody. Can I say and, one thing uh, real quick? Thank, thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Yep. Look forward to seeing you guys when we can. Thanks so much for joining us again for this week's episode of Seen and Heard. A huge shout out to our contributors, Paul Souza, Tiffany LaMandola, and the folks at DMI rolling out the Net Zero Initiative, Karen Scanlon, Jim Wallace, and Caleb Harper. If you have any questions related to anything you heard in today's podcast or requests for future episodes, please reach out to mlema at wudairies.com, Darby Toth, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com, or simply send us a message at info at wudairies.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. And thanks for listening. Have a great week, everyone. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.